0: Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Coming up in just a few minutes in today's Clark-rageous moment, I want to tell you about a ripoff that can wipe out all your savings. And coming up yet later, when you have a car that breaks down, when you need repairs, Where do you go? Where are you going to be the happiest? I have brand new data from Consumer Reports magazine on where the best place is to get your vehicle serviced and repaired. I want to talk right now about how student loan debt is just fouling up life for so many people. Student loan debt in the United States now exceeds $1.5 trillion. Think about that, $1,500 billion in student loan debt. It's far higher than all the outstanding debt on credit cards. And think about it. A lot of people don't go to college. A lot of people went to college, didn't borrow money. So you have a sliver of the American people owing so much money that it exceeds what the entire American population Owes in credit cards what the entire American population owes in vehicle loans. I mean, this is a hideous problem. And a new report from the Federal Reserve says that it's directly impacting economic growth in the United States. That a huge number of people now have not bought homes because of student loan debt. That Another group of people way delayed buying homes because of student loan debt. And then the student loan debt has a twin curse because a lot of people carrying so much student loan debt end up going into default, destroying their credit and increasing the total amount you'll end up owing on student loans. The reality is that the Congress, by trying to do a good thing, did a terrible thing. By allowing teenagers to borrow unlimited sums of money and grad students to borrow unlimited sums of money, and regardless of any possible ability to repay that money based on education, earned degree, skill, whatever, They've set a bear trap for people. In addition, college tuitions have gone up at three times the rate of general inflation in the U.S. economy, because all the easy access to money meant that colleges threw financial discipline out the window. And no matter what they wanted to charge, they knew people would just borrow it. And so college costs escalated out of sight. A couple of things here. First, in terms of you. If you're a parent of high schoolers and college is in the cards for them, I want to share with you a meeting I had recently with the head of a school who was talking to me about What she really wanted me to deliver is a message. And it was an intense one from her. The fixation that people have about getting into the it school, the supposed right school, is garbage. She's an intellectual. She didn't use that word. I forget what word she used. They were far more articulate than garbage. But I will use the word garbage. Refuse. The idea that how you're going to do in life is going to be determined by where you get that degree is just not accurate. What matters is what you learn and not necessarily where you learn it. And so if one school is X dollars and the other school is X times three, but the X times three school is so much better, forget about it. Go to the school that's X. Go to the school that's a third of the cost. Now There are snobs who make fun of directional schools. You know what a directional college is? It's one that in its name is blah, blah, blah. Southwestern this, or northern that, or eastern this, or whatever. Well, I went to a directional college for grad school. Mine had central in its name. And I got a good education. And I have benefited from that education. And I know at the time when I was in grad school three generations ago, whatever that was, forever ago, went into grad school in 1976, 77. That's a while back, right? There were people at the time that were uh, making fun of the choice I made in a grad school. And it didn't bother me because the thing was, I knew I was getting the master's in business and learning the principles I wanted to learn. And the tuition was affordable. In addition, I worked at IBM at the time and they had tuition reimbursement. So I'd have to lay out the money. You had to get an A or B in a course to get reimbursement. Got the best grades I ever caught in education to make sure I got every reimbursement. And But I was 21 Twenty, Yeah, it started when I was 21. And for me, coming up with the money for tuition was a big expense, even though I was getting reimbursed later. So I went to where I could afford. So know that the emphasis with your teenagers is not to guilt trip yourself or for them to be put into a guilt trip mode where they think, the only smart thing is to borrow a zillion dollars, it's not. Because the handicap in their lives, in their 20s, 30s, or beyond, with all the borrowing, is just too great. Mary Jane joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Mary Jane. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Mary Jane. You want to ask me about a company that advertises on TV a lot?
1: Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, it's a friend of mine had recommended it for me, and uh, it's an online bank.
0: Which and one?
1: Currently, uh, well, it's Ally.
0: <laughs> All right, and Ally is um, a very legitimate company. What are you thinking okay. of doing with Ally?
1: Well, uh, right now, um, my husband and I have some money sitting in a savings account, and it's still a you know, fairly sizable sum. And, um, you know, it's a 0.1% versus what I'm understanding with allies. Currently, I'm looking at rates around 2% and maybe as high as 2.75% on a high yield 12-month CD.
0: Yeah, so Ally Ally on the plain, simple savings today is paying 2.2%. Okay. And so you can do a CD earning more. You know, interest rates looked like they were going to go up a whole lot more. But Mm -hmm. because of the trade war with China and the uh, ongoing effects of the federal um, partial government shutdown and uh, some other economic worries in the world, I'm not expecting interest rates to go up as much as I did even three months ago. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to put some money in a one-year CD that would earn you a half point higher, uh, as long as you're not going to need access to the cash, I think that's fine.
1: Okay. Yeah, that was my question. You know, I had just never dealt with an online bank before, and uh, you've already answered my one question about it being reputable, but I guess the other part of my question was, you know, we hear so much about hacks and security breaches, and I guess the thought of a bank that's totally online, you know, my my question was how safe that was. And I did know that this particular bank, having researched it, it, is FDIC insured. Yeah, so
0: you've taken (laughs) all the right steps, and the funny thing is is that... The online banks likely have better security than the traditional banks that are taking old, old computer systems and code and trying to run one little step ahead of the hackers. I think they're not as secure as the online banks that from the get-go were all computer-based organizations. Okay. So I'm not concerned about the fact they're online, you know, FDIC insured is great and Ally if you ever have a mind to offers a lot more than just the savings accounts and CDs they also offer all the phases of traditional banking like checking accounts and okay. car loans and all that oh, okay so uh, okay. and you know that's going to be the next step is people not just using the online banks for the savings accounts but actually moving the checking accounts there because they don't charge any of the gotchas or junk fees, and that's the beauty of the online banks versus the traditional banks. That The difference is the traditional banks wake up every day trying to figure out a new junk fee to charge you. <laughs> you're it, absolutely right. And the online banks, that's not their thing. And you should feel that the bank you're with has insulted your intelligence by paying you 1/100th one one of 1% on savings when any of the online banks generally are paying well above 2%. So go for it. Joel joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Joel. Hi
2: there, Clark. Thanks for taking my call.
0: Certainly, Joel. You got a question for me about bugs.
2: I do. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for all that you do. I greatly appreciate listening to you, and I learned a great deal and have for many, many years. Well, thank you. Uh, so I recently came across an article, and I am extremely ignorant in this field, but I felt like it was appropriate to bring to your attention, uh, given your, your love for the Chromebook, for day-to-day needs for, that you want secure. And what I read from uh, what I consider a fairly reliable source was a story on uh, a virus that can uh, attack many different devices at the processor level. So the fact that a Chromebook doesn't run and a traditional operating system doesn't make it immune. And uh, so I thought that it would be good for you to be aware of and your your, uh, listeners as well.
0: Yeah. So go ahead into the bug because it affects a lot of smartphones, gaming machines, laptops, and um, uh, and in fact there there's one brand, of Chromebook, that's affected. Is that right?
2: If you're asking me, I'm not sure. I just read that Chromebook was on the list. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's only one manufacturer. Let me or, see. Or I'm, pulling, all of them. I'm pulling
0: up the story right now because I'd heard about this, and it's. Fortunately, it's a bug that's pretty easily remedied, and now that the article's been published, I think it will be taken care of fairly quickly. Um, but well, go ahead. One thing I was thinking
2: of is, is how paramount it would be to make sure that on a, a banking-only Chromebook, like you recommend that they truly only use it for banking because I think you're you're very unlikely to get a bug like this if you're only going to your bank's website and your financial institution's websites, and not using it for email or general browsing.
0: Well, you know, and that's why I repeatedly talk about having a separate Chromebook now that they're as cheap as $100. It's ultra-inexpensive insurance to access bank brokerage kind of websites only from that computer, never web surfing, never doing email never doing social media, and you really increase the level of protection for your finances.
2: I think it just goes to show that there there is still a risk, uh, so it is, it is important to be cautious. Your, your Chromebook is not bulletproof.
0: I'm reading the story right now, and it's just a quick glance, but I'm not sure what they can do specifically to intercept... What you're doing on I can see how they can do it on uh, laptops, but I can't see how the vulnerability affects somebody's information on a Chromebook. But again, I'm not to you know I'm not technically adept, so I can't speak to that. Nor am I. So um, I'll stay on this, and as more information becomes available, if it goes beyond just the particular Samsung Chromebook they refer to then I'll make sure that people know how to protect themselves and what steps they need to take with their Chromebook, gaming machine, laptop, phone, whatever it is. I have a really important clark moment for you, one that first came on my radar in 2016 and now has become a serious problem. People that are buying a home are being sent false wire instructions telling you where to wire funds for the closing. And the wiring instructions have you send your money to crooks often overseas with no way ever to get your money back. Often what will happen is the criminal rings will break into the email of real estate agents or escrow agents or closing attorneys. And you get a standard set of instructions where to send money, and so you just assume it's the real instructions for your loan. The only easy way to protect yourself is to go back to an analog era solution. When you are ready to wire money for your home loan, call your real estate agent and and the closing attorney or escrow agent, whoever it is who's doing the actual transaction, and make sure that you confirm the wiring instructions. That step alone will prevent essentially 100% of this scam where people's dreams are broken and their money is stolen and the house they were hoping to buy slips right through their fingers. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. One great thing today is the vehicles we drive are so much more reliable than they used to be. It's not even close. I think about how common it is now that vehicles can go 250,000 miles without any need for major repairs in many cases minor repairs certainly, and then regular maintenance. That's fantastic. I mean, it's not that long ago in American history, 50 years ago, vehicles were kept typically three years because the quality and workmanship were so poor. Today, because we have the world's most competitive vehicle market, And because of advances in manufacturing techniques and design, vehicles are so much better. And so you're likely, the average vehicle on the road now is 11 and a half years old, and not because they tired out, but because we tired of them. It's common that a vehicle can go 400,000 miles today. Think about that. So... If you are someone who wants a vehicle to stand the test of time, you want to maintain it and repair it at the right place. Consumer Reports, in its February issue, has a write-up about where you should have a vehicle repaired with data on where people have the best results based on a survey of 40,000 people. Far and away, not even close, by far the highest rated place to have a vehicle repaired and maintained from this survey of 40,000 people is from independent shops. People routinely have very, very, very good experiences. On the other hand, the worst experiences across the board, are in the service bays of franchise car dealers. This isn't my data, this is Consumer Reports, don't scream at me. And the numbers are so extreme from going to an independent shop to going to the dealership service bays, it stuns me. The numbers are so different. But just because you go to an independent shop doesn't mean they're going to do a great job. Just by nature of being an independent shop doesn't mean they're competent, doesn't mean they're knowledgeable about your vehicle, and doesn't mean they're honest. You want to work with a place when the stakes are low, not when your vehicle's broken by the side of the road. You want to have a history with a repair place. And you want to know the people there, and you want to feel comfortable that that's where to go. And there was a trend that occurred in the United States, starting in the early 80s, with shops that specialize in only a particular brand or two or three, where they specialize, and it became a big deal with European vehicles, and then went on to the Japanese, So there'll be shops that only repair Toyota and Lexus, only repair Honda and Acura, only repair Nissan and Infiniti. You get the idea that they only have to become expert at those particular brands, they only have to stock parts for those particular ones, and they're independents. And checking reputations online now is really helpful, something that didn't used to exist. The second thing I wanted to mention from the Consumer Reports research is whether or not you should buy a vehicle extended warranty or service contract. And, you know, I take that question all the time, and I've said I'm neutral on them, but I've said the math isn't really that great on them. Well, I want to read you a direct quote of two sentences from Consumer Reports. From a pure number standpoint, the smart money is on skipping – the protection, and instead focusing on buying a model with better-than-average predicted reliability, easy for me to say, and then properly maintaining it. And then they talk about checking reliability ratings. I add one more thing. Whenever you're buying a used car, always, always, I don't care, certified this, that, or the other, always have that vehicle checked out by a mechanic, of your choosing. Josh joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Josh. Hi, how are you, Clark? Great, thank you, Josh. You got a question for me that was huge a couple years ago, and nobody ever asked me about this. Hit me with it.
3: Yeah, um, I'm currently looking for a career change, and I'm looking to go towards the tech industry, and I've noticed a lot of boot camps that have um, popped up. And I really don't know a lot of information about those, and I thought you would be the man to ask about
0: that. So coding boot camps were a big, big deal years ago, and I don't know that it's the thing it once was, but there are several things I can suggest to you. My first suggestion is that you take an ultra-inexpensive coding class online for basically almost nothing first just to to check it out, almost like a test drive of if you have the aptitude for it and interest rather than signing up for a course that often they're about fifteen dollars to $20,000 for a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what you've been seeing?
3: Uh, around the 10000 10, mark.
0: Oh, so they've come down. Yeah. Okay, so... There's a website I'd like you to go to called Udemy. Have you ever been there?
3: I have, yes, sir.
0: And how much is their uh, Learn to Code class?
3: Um, I think it varies. They they teach different languages. Um, I'm not 100% sure, but like I said, I think each co- each class varies.
0: All right, so I'm looking right now. now this is funny when we're talking about $10,000. Mm-hmm. Their introduction courses to coding right now are $11.99. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not going to be equivalent to what you'd have in a $10,000 class. But the reason I would want you to start with an Udemy class is that most people who, even if a coding coding program is great, a coding boot camp is great, You may not be great at it, and you don't know till you dig in, and so taking a basic coding course just to see if you have the natural aptitude for it could save you a lot of time and save you, well, $10,000. Yeah. (laughs) Now, If you do find that coding is something that that looks like it's going to be a natural fit for you, before you pick a course... What I'd like for you to do is talk to employment recruiters at companies that are likely to employ you as a coder and ask the recruiters where they get their best students from or best employees from. Okay. Because, I mean, the whole idea of going to a coding boot camp is to get employment at a really good pay rate, right? Right. So instead of trusting any coding academy or coding school or boot camp that they're the place you should go, you yeah. want to talk to where the rubber meets the road, which is the people who are going to extend the job offers, which places they respect, where they find their best new employees. Yeah,
3: okay. And the course I'm actually looking at, they um, guarantee a job within six months or they return or they refund
0: the $10,000
1: that does
3: not compute
0: i never believe that don't ever trust that okay you want to you the real guarantee you want is that the place you go is one that has a great reputation in industry and that people want to hire their graduates okay but I know you sound like you're really anxious to get started and you're comfortable paying the ten grand. Mm-hmm. I'm not comfortable you paying the ten grand till you've taken a couple of these courses that'll cost you ten bucks. Yeah,
3: yeah. That makes sense.
0: Okay. And good luck to you. Let me know where you end up with this. If you get a great job that pays a lot of money.
3: Oh, yes, sir, I will. Thank you so much for your help.
0: Thank you. And Lynn is with us on the Clark Howard show. Hi, Lynn. Lynn? Hey, Clark. Hi.
1: Yeah, there I am. I came off mute. Yeah, hi. Thank hi. you.
0: So, um, I can't help you much if you're muted, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, but then um, if a dog started barking, you you your listeners aren't necessarily um, listening for that sound stuff. What kind they of a dog so do you good. have? We have an Australian Shepherd who, of course, wants to organize everything. Oh.
0: Well, how can I be of service?
1: Um, thanks. Yeah. Um, so I've been listening since this fall and I like your conventional wisdom approach to investing. You know, the most important thing is to do something, get started and, you know, start with the basics and and the low-cost funds. I think that's all great. And my husband and I have been doing that, but now retirement is not so far off and in fact my husband did retire in December, so we're going to... Is he
0: driving you crazy? Not yet. Okay, good.
1: I'm a, I'm going to drive him crazy. I'm a furloughed federal employee right now. That's a Aww. side issue. Let's not go there yet.
0: <laughs> and uh, because of him and whatever you've saved and invested, the two of you are able to get through this better than a lot of your fellow federal employees.
1: Well, actually, that is a little bit of the irony is because this was coming in some other issues Uh, we were definitely max savers this last year so we'll we'll weather it for a while longer but obviously no one can take this type of disruption in the long term
0: exactly
1: yeah so um, the conventional wisdom side a lot of your callers are people starting out in their careers or getting into mid-career I don't hear people calling in. So that's my service to America today um, who are right at the point where they're going to start withdrawals from an IRA. And so what's the conventional wisdom in terms of types of investments? Like let's pretend ahem, yes. that um, we have uh, my husband's IRA with Vanguard and it's in a 2020 target, but now we're going to start to pull from it. Should we move all that to their income fund, hedge our bets, and keep some of it in the 2020 and put some in an income. No, fund. I, I mean, you, you leave us.
0: it in the 2020 for this reason. The When people hit retirement, like your husband has, they often think, well, now I just need to preserve my money. But the reality, yeah. the biggest risk is outliving your money with inflation ravaging what you have. How old is your husband at this point? Um, early 60s. So he could very easily live 25 more years, more or less. Oh, yeah. So if you dial back from, let's say, 62, you dial back 25 years, you're trying 37, if you look Mm -hmm. in reverse, and you think how much life changed and how much has happened from 37 to 62. So now if you think, and I'm just guessing 62 based on you saying early 60s, so you think now... 62 to 87, that's a huge amount of life in front of him. So the idea of staying in the 2020 is that uh, Vanguard will continue to change the mix in that fund through the years to deal with the fact that you want to accumulate enough to overcome inflation and at the same time have an appropriate mix of risk.
1: Right. I read today that... The 20, by 2027, the mix in the 2020 fund will be the same as what's currently in the income fund. So,
0: Yeah, so he needs some years of growth in front of him to deal right. with. It's not early in retirement that the cash flow is important. It's late in retirement that cash flow is important. Because early in yeah. retirement, if you get hit by a two-by-four financially, you can go back to work. But much later in retirement, physically, many of us aren't able to or capable of. Right. So that's why the planning is geared towards making sure the back end is solid than the front end. But at the situation you're at, once your paychecks start flowing in and all that, there's more issues for the two of you with him retired, you still working. I think it'd be great for you to go get a financial checkup. From mm-hmm. uh, maybe Garrett Planning Network, if you've ever heard me mention them.
1: Yeah, I've heard that in the NA, whatever it is. NAPFA. Garrett doesn't have a lot of people. We're in Portland, Oregon, in our area. The other one has more. So, yeah, I'm so, not looking for someone to tell us
0: how to invest. Right, you're looking for you a, know, a holistic approach about yeah. what do you need to do to deal with the next phase of your life, and do you have all the right things in place? And that's the beauty of paying somebody an hourly fee for a checkup with Garrett Planning Network. Some NAPFA people will do that. Others are more interested in an ongoing relationship. But talking with a professional like that, you're exactly at that moment. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, John. Hey, Clark. How you doing? Great. Thank you. You are yet another person curious about Wikibuy. Yeah,
3: I was just browsing the internet and I kept seeing their ad pop up in front of me, you know, promising that I could, you know, buy cell phones at employee discounts versus, uh, you know, paying retail to, you know,
0: whomever. So I'll tell you my attitude on Wikibuy, and for people who aren't familiar, W-I-K-I-B-U-Y dot com, is they have a good price comparison tool, uh, maybe not the most comprehensive, I've shopped on their their site a lot, and I haven't found things that are like, wow, these are screaming deals I'm not seeing anywhere else. I just look at it as another tool for comparison shopping on the internet. Um, there are some others that I think you could look at as well, uh, what used to be called frugal.com, F-R-O-O-G-L-E, which um, if you do frugal.com, it'll take you there, it's Google Shopping. And another one that uh, that I like, or some that will invisibly shop for you in the background while you are while you're looking for things. The most well known is Invisible Hand. Have you seen that one? Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, I've never seen that one before. So I, you know, is whether or not you're going to find. The greatest deal ever on Wikibuy. I haven't seen that yet. Uh, There's nothing wrong with it. I just haven't seen it to be as comprehensive as some other choices. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.